Hey guys, welcome to the Bill Barnwell Show. I am Bill Barnwell. Today, ESPN's Marcel Louis-Jacques joins me to break down Tua Tango-Vailoa's incredible performance against the Ravens on Sunday, and we preview the two teams that Marcel has covered over the past three years for SESPN and knows extremely well the Dolphins-Bills game coming up in Miami, first place in the AFC East on the line. But before we move on, ESPN and Enscape contributor Dominique Foxworth, who you may have heard on this very show in the past, has a new podcast every Tuesday and Thursday bringing his unique perspectives on football, the personalities surrounding it, and just about everything else he finds interesting or thinks you might find interesting. So check out the Dominique Foxworth Show. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Now, here's Marcel talking about Tua and the Dolphins-Bills matchup in week three. All right, joining me now, here is promised on the Bill Barnwell Show, not just an excellent follow on Twitter, not just an excellent beat writer covering the Miami Dolphins for us at ESPN, but a man who I believe in my heart is going to be in demand among actual NFL teams because everywhere he goes, young quarterbacks suddenly break out unexpectedly. It is ESPN's Marcel Louis-Jacques. Marcel, what is it like to have the power of unlocking Josh Allen and Tua Tango-Vailoa over the course of a little over two years in two different places? Look, if, if I spoiled the secret and if I <laughs> revealed my, my methods, then I'm afraid either I won't get work anymore or somebody else is going to try to do it, and then all of a sudden I'm not so valuable. So uh, <laughs> it's one of those things where uh, you don't got to understand it, just mm -hmm. accept it, and... Uh, no, no, it, I'm, I'm obviously, obviously joking. And also, uh, I did cover both Taylor Heineke and Kyle Allen's first career <laughs> NFL starts in 2018, neither of which went particularly well. So, um, you know, there are there are checks to this system. There are counters to this theory. Only, only so much power. You, you can only do so much, realistically. But you have done a lot. I mean, Josh Allen did take a significant step forward in 2020 and has been much better since. And I mean, on Sunday, if there was ever a case of a breakout game, that fourth quarter from Tua Tango-Vailoa was it. Yeah, um, in, in a major way. It was one of those where, like, like I, I, I essentially had my takeaway ready by the middle of the fourth quarter, right? Like, I was, I was about ready to write. And our Slack channel is, you know, I, I, I got to back and read it because I know it's hilarious because I changed it maybe four times over the course of like every single drive is like, okay, if they score again, I'm going to say this. Okay. Let me do this instead. <laughs> hey, actually I, I'm going to have to pitch news because it turns out he's got 400 yards and five <laughs> touchdowns. So uh, he might actually throw for 500 yards today. <laughs> and uh, honestly, I think he, he, he maybe would have, if Edmonds didn't break off like a 30 yard run mm -hmm. there at the end of the game, mm -hmm. or he, it would have put, I think Tua at like 495 if he threw mm -hmm. for every yard on that drive but yeah it was one of those like wow um i am not i am not programmed to believe the dolphins can win once they are down two scores because that is not what they have shown us mm -hmm. over the past two years and you know i tweeted maybe in the first quarter when things look like they're about to get out of hand like we're gonna learn what a mike mcdaniel team how it how a mike mcdaniel team responds to adversity today mm -hmm. And that is exactly what we saw. They passed it with, I mean, flying colors. Because look, man, he had to be—he had to be perfect. He had to be perfect after halftime, and he essentially was. I think it's 320 yards and five touchdowns 
in the second half alone. Isn't that crazy? Just, just the sheer numbers? I mean, I, I wrote in my column on Monday, this is a guy who had never thrown for 300 yards or three touchdowns once in a victory. He did that in the second half of this game. Yeah. Just like, the, saying it out loud is like, he, this, look, man, I, I've gone on record a couple times over the offseason and said, like, I, I think that this, I think this works. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying that he was going to, I think I specifically said he wasn't going to be, have like this Josh Allen type third season because mm-hmm. it, we got to stop expecting that out of third year quarterbacks. Yep. But, um, and particularly because Josh Allen flashed it his second year. Mm-hmm. Like, we, sure. it, it, if you paid attention, like, it, you kind of see it coming. But either way, I digress. But I thought that this was going to work. It, it's better weapons. It's far better coaching. He's smarter. Um, he's, you know, a couple years removed from that hip injury, which he continues to sorry to say, like, isn't bothering him. But I, I don't believe him. Mm-hmm. I think it, 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 I think it definitely impacted his ability to drive his throws and, mm-hmm. and, and play this position. Uh, so, like, all things pointed toward him having, at the very least, greater command of an offense than he had in the previous two years. And uh, although, you know, I'm not expecting him to throw for 400 yards a game or even lead the NFL in passing, like this was the first time that Tua was ever asked to go win a game with his arm mm-hmm. and he delivered. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, more than delivered given how he played. Even, you know, the Dolphins even gave up a field goal. I mean, he had an extra drive to, to win the game. Um, in terms of his performance, obviously the fourth quarter stuff, hard to poke too many holes in how he played he was phenomenal how did he play for, to your eyes before the fourth quarter like was he playing okay or well and then he kind of just took it to a new level over those final few drives or was he you know was he pretty consistently good throughout the entire game yeah so uh, obviously the two interceptions kind of stand out as yeah. as very as poor decisions and and he'll admit that as well uh but beyond that the reason why the dolphins were in a 21 point hole was because Lamar was literally perfect. Mm-hmm. Like literally, I think he had a 158.3 passer rating at, at halftime, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, but two of 12 of 20, a buck 50 touchdown, two mm-hmm. interceptions. Like he wasn't bad. Like he was doing enough. This defense couldn't stop Lamar and they gave up a touchdown on special teams. Mm-hmm. So like, it, it wasn't, uh, you know, it, it's not like he was awful. Um, I thought that beyond the interceptions, uh, he made smart decisions with the ball. And that's kind of what we've seen from him uh, throughout training camp. And then also in, in the Patriots game for the most part. Mm-hmm. But uh, I mean, he wasn't letting you rip like, like he was in, in the fourth quarter, Like he, he, they weren't taking the top off the defense like that. Uh, but uh, those are the reasons why those, those two interceptions are the reason why like there has to be a little bit of, of, of caution there has to be a little skepticism moving forward because those are still the things that he needs to he needs to clean up. Uh, mm-hmm. The ball to Hill, uh, a lot of Dolphins fans will tell you that he'll slip at the top of his route. Mm-hmm. Uh, slip or no slip, the ball was late, and I think it was a little too far inside. Mm-hmm. And Marcus Williams, the Ravens safety, read it the entire way. He had Allegan Gold open for a first down right in front of him, and he had Jalen Waddle open on the other side of the field. Uh, I think he, that was his first read and he just came off it a little too early, a little too quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, second one shouldn't have been thrown at all. Um, mm-hmm. I don't even think, I don't think Jalen Waddle was even running that streak down the sideline. I think he was, he was starting to come inside mm-hmm. as if he's running a deep post and mm-hmm. two or threw it to the sideline. Waddle tried to play defense after and uh, just bad communication from both guys, but uh, he still threw it in a double coverage mm-hmm. on the sideline. 
So those are the kind of decisions like you like to see your quarterback taking risks and taking chances, but you are the game is still within reach. You can't be turning the ball over. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you know, to be fair to Tua Tagovailoa, it's week two in a new offense. You know, I think he was incredible in the fourth quarter of that game and it's obviously unrealistic to hold him to that expectation for each and every fourth quarter or each and every week going forward but this is still a a new offense and so you know I I guess there's the possibility that even if Tua doesn't have you know the sort of crazy fourth quarter he had in week two in the future he could still be better on a snap-to-snap basis because he's more comfortable in this offense in week eight or or week 13 as opposed to where he was for most of this game in week two. Yeah, I I agree. And if you if you look at his numbers against uh, New England there mm-hmm. in, in week one, 23-33, 207 yards and a touchdown. I, I think that's more consistent with the floor that we're going to see from Tua moving forward. Mm-hmm. It wasn't spectacular. You know, he wasn't taking the top there. He left some plays on the field. Sure. He got away with the turnover worthy play or two. Mm-hmm. But like, I think that's generally what we're going to see, you know, high 60 to low 70 percent completion of his passes. Uh, maybe a, a hair under two, 300 yards mm-hmm. uh, and a touchdown or two, uh, maybe an interception, uh, depending on the week, depending on the defense. And then there's probably going to be some weeks where he, you know, explodes. Not like this. Like, I, I'm not. I, I would be kind of surprised just because of the rarity of it to have multiple 460 plus yard <laughs> passing games. But like he's going to have those weeks where okay, yeah, Tyreek breaks one open mm-hmm. and Jalen. Waddle breaks one open and mm-hmm. you're going to crack that 300 yard mark and then some, but like, I, I, I think he, he took some heat from uh, oddly enough from Dolphins fans, not unanimously, but from some Dolphins fans after that win in week one saying that he, you know, he didn't play well. And it's like, no, that's just, he did play well. Uh, he just didn't, you know, he, he didn't let it loose. Like he, he wasn't, mm-hmm. he wasn't Pat Mahomes. He wasn't Aaron Rodgers, but like, that's a stat line that I think we're going to see from Tua, and that is not something to be ashamed of. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Um, in terms of this offense through two weeks, are you surprised with how often they've thrown the football? I, I mean, I know in week two they were trailing for most of the game, and that was game situation. But if you look at uh, what is the stat, the pass rate over expected, where you take the game script or you take the game situation and then you just have to kind of project how often the team would throw the football. Dolphins have one of the highest pass rates over expected in all of football through two weeks. So based on what you saw from this offense in the preseason, based on what you heard, based on what you expected heading into week one, did you think they would be a more run heavy offense than they've been through two weeks? Um, not really. And and when you look at McDaniel's offenses in, in San Francisco, I think the, the knee jerk reaction is obviously, yeah, okay, they're going to run the ball better. They're going to run the ball better, but they didn't particularly run the ball well this summer. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it their ground game struggled in training camp, struggled in joint practices. It struggled in preseason games, and it it struggled in week one. Uh, I think Raheem Mostert, you know, being uh, getting healthier is helping. Um, I think he was eleven for fifty one there uh, in week two, and so there were signs of life. Uh, there are su- certainly signs of life, but uh, I, I think that Mike McDaniel is a very smart person. Mm-hmm. He's a smart coach. And as a smart coach, he's just going to do whatever works. Mm-hmm. And I, if passing the ball is a more efficient way to move the ball than running it, I think that he's not going to, I don't think he's going to force the issue. So, I mean, I, I'm a little surprised to see 
you know, 50 pass attempts already. Mm-hmm. But uh, I, I'm not necessarily surprised that they are pass heavy because they are, you know, they're, they're built to throw the ball. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, look at their personnel. They have a tight end in Mike Gesicki, who's basically a wide receiver. They have, they used a significant draft haul to go out and get Tyreek Hill, it gave Tyreek Hill a big contract. They have Jalen Waddle, who was a really impressive player in year one, a former top 10 pick. I mean, plenty of weapons to go around in the passing game. And then you have like River Craycraft suddenly getting isolated for, for goal line <laughs> touches in the passing game and getting a touchdown. Um, so definitely plenty of weapons for Tua to work with. This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple. Jets is better. With the thickest, crispiest, cheesiest Detroit-style pizza in the country, there is no competition. And right now, get $5 off any eight-corner pizza with code 8SAVE. That's the number 8, S-A-V-E. Go to JetsPizza.com to learn more and find a Jets Pizza location near you. Again, try Jets Signature 8 Corner Pizza and get $5 off with code 8SAVE. That's number 8, S-A-V-E. Jets Pizza, better because it has to be. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I have a difficult question because I feel like I feel like this is the sort of question where if I ask it to the wrong person or it's asked in the wrong context, it will go very wrong. It will reveal <laughs> a very dangerous quote. I trust you. You're a very smart person. This is a question that may require some nuance, which is why I'm asking you to answer it and not me. How much of what happened in the fourth quarter do you pin on Tua Tagovailoa's performance versus the Ravens having some backup cornerbacks and blowing some coverages? W- what is the mix for you there? Ooh, yeah, that's fun. You see what that's I fun. you see what I mean, right? <laughs> that is fun. Look, um, I obviously their their talent and depth in the secondary and their health in the secondary on Sunday made an impact on what Miami was able to do. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there was a, especially those two with Tyreek Hill, um, mm-hmm. it, in particular the the last one. Yes, uh, where uh, what is it, armor? Armor, uh, Armor Davis. Yes, Davis. yes. Because I remember thinking that was his full name. I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, Armor Davis uh, basically just stood flat-footed and watched Tyreek run by him, like Poor almost guy. like he was defiant in coverage. Like, no, I'm not playing. <laughs> uh, that was kind of inexplicable, unexcusable. Mm-hmm. Uh, the previous one, um, it you know, Kyle Hamilton legitimately didn't know that mm-hmm. Tyreek Hill was was where he was until. Tyreek was already three yards behind him. Mm-hmm. Um, and he bit on, if you look, there's Jalen Waddle crossing, uh, uh, you know, right in front of Hamilton's face. And he started to charge down to take Waddle. Uh, that's rookie. That's a rookie safety mindset. Uh, mm-hmm. you, you you have to get the deep man. And you just have to know where Tyreek Hill is at all times. I don't care what your assignment is. Mm-hmm. Tyreek Hill can end up anywhere. You you have to know. Uh, so, yeah, that, that I would check on or I would, you know, attribute to, 
I, I would attribute to the Ravens secondary, their overall youth. But I mean, Marcus Peters was on the field mm-hmm. and playing. Marlon Humphrey yeah. was was playing, uh, and and for the you know, two was I, I want to say there's three throws, three touchdown passes that were they were big boy throws. They were mm-hmm. they were big time throws. The the touchdown to Mike Kosicki, mm-hmm. uh, I, I mean, was nine in coverage. He puts it up in the air where only Kosicki can get it. Mm-hmm. The Craycraft touchdown, spinning away from a sack, throwing across his body, which is not something that he historically does well mm-hmm. in the NFL, but he still, you know, was able to uh, throw across his body and get it to him. And then mm-hmm. Waddle, the the game winning touchdown, I thought was his best play. I thought it was his best play of the game because mm-hmm. he, he climbs the pocket, but as he's climbing the pocket, he keeps his eyes downfield. He keeps his eyes on Waddle mm-hmm. who hit this little squirrel, this little squirrel route to break free in the end zone. And then still again, across his body, you know, off platform, puts it in a spot where only Waddle is going to come down with it. So it's not like, and he still completed 70% of his passes. Yeah. So, uh, you know, it's the, it's the right answer. The politically correct answer is it, it was a, it was a mix of both. Mm-hmm. It was a healthy mix of both, but we can't take anything away from Tua Tungo Bailoa because you still do have to hit those throws. You of still course. have to recognize these. And also, you know, I'm, I, I'm kind of curious, you know, they were blown coverages. Sure. But, what was Miami's offense doing earlier in the game mm-hmm. to maybe set Baltimore mm-hmm. up in the fourth quarter to blow up coverage in the first place? Mm-hmm. You know, that's, I don't feel like that gets discussed enough. You know, Mike, again, he's, he's a smart guy, first year coach, but a very smart guy. He's been around the league for almost 20 years. Mm-hmm. You know, he, what was he doing to set Baltimore up in a position where they thought they would be doing X in the fourth quarter and they ended up doing YZW. Mm-hmm. I mean, Waddle had plenty of catches in this game, breaking over the middle of the field, um, breaking in on digs and posts and slants, and so that matters for Kyle Hamilton. If Kyle Hamilton sees uh, Jalen Waddle just catching pass after pass over the middle of the field, I, I do think that Kyle Hamilton is more likely to try and address that by jumping that route breaking over the middle of the field, which then opens up Tyree Kill to run past Marcus Peters and run free for a long touchdown. Like that is the two things are related. Now, I will say the last touchdown, the the long hill touchdown where Armor <laughs> Davis appeared to be have his controller frozen, that was just a blown coverage. I mean, to a yeah. <laughs> imagine imagine if you're Jalen Armor Davis. This is your second game in the NFL. Like your family's watching you know, it's it's a big day. You're playing meaningful snaps. You're not really expecting to do that as a fourth round pick on a good team. And even before the snap, the 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 Ravens were showing cover zero. They they wanted to drop out into cover two. So Jalen Arvin Davis is standing there across from Tyreek Hill. And everyone in the stadium can see it. Tua can see it. Tyreek can see it. You know, if the Ravens play that defense, they're gonna throw at Jalen Armor Davis and they're gonna throw to Tyreek, probably on a deep pass because there's no safety help. And so Jalen Armour Davis is expecting to get safety help. He feels like, okay, I know this looks bad, but I'm going to be fine. And then the snap comes, and the safety help doesn't come. And Jalen Armour Davis just <laughs> the help never comes. Just stands there as Tyreek runs past him. This poor guy. I felt so bad for him. Oh man, what a brutal situation. Like, it did. And like looking at the looking at the play, looking at the dots. Uh, I think Marcus Williams is lined up over or Demarion Williams. He's he's lined up over Jalen Waddle. Mm-hmm. Uh, Marcus Williams is kind of splitting the difference between Waddle and Gesicki. Mm-hmm. But then Kyle Hamilton is like right on Marcus Williams' hip. Yep. And I would assume that 
you know, if they're trying to drop back into cover two, that's a lot of ground for that guy to cover. It sure and is. I don't think he was, it's not like he was particularly blazing fast coming out of Notre Dame. And like, yep. unless I'm wrong, he was, he ran in what, like the four sixes, that's maybe correct. even worse. Mm-hmm. So that's asking a lot for that guy, for that kid to, to cover. I'm curious if that's, if that was by design, like if he was supposed to be there or if he's maybe supposed to fill in between like Patrick Queen on the other side, mm-hmm. I don't know. It, it just, it was just a weird, and Tyreek Hill told us after the game, they saw it right away. Yeah. That he looked over at, at Tua and he said, yeah, <laughs> he's like, that just means throw it to me no matter what, I'm going to make a play for you. Yep. Mm-hmm. And I'm sorry for blowing up your spot for all future <laughs> Dolphins opponents that are listening to this. I apologize to Mike McDaniel for now ruining the yee yee call. I, but, I, think, uh, <laughs> I think politely, if 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 you have Tyreek Hill one on one versus a rookie corner and there's no help, I, I don't think you need to communicate anything. I think the balls go in there one way or another. Yeah, I think if you if you're a defender, if you're a second and you hear Tyreek yell yee yee, that uh, you can kind of you can know it's coming, sure. But uh, he's also very fast. He is. He's very fast. So if there's a sliver of open space downfield, I don't think you got the grapes to to mm-hmm. get there before he does. Uh, that was yeah. It, it was a it was a baffling play. It was like a I, I can't. It was like I can't believe they did that yes. so quickly. I can't believe they just tied the game so easily. Like there was never any. There was no resistance in the fourth quarter from Baltimore. I mean, I, I, I thought, I went back and watched it, there was one play where Waddle just dropped a perfect pass, and it was almost caught on a pick. That was the one hope the Ravens had, was the Dolphins making a mistake and them lucking into a pick. Otherwise, they had absolutely no resistance. Even on the on the Edmonds run at the end of the game, I mean, that was an easy 30-yard run in a key situation. I think it was a beautiful play call from yeah. McDaniel there, because... You know they've done nothing really but but throw the ball, and especially mm-hmm. like in the situ in that situation, uh, two minute drill, still down by a score. Uh, you would expect them to press. You would expect them to keep throwing the ball, mm-hmm. and they just weren't they weren't ready for it at all. They weren't ready for it at all. It was it was a perfectly timed run. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean they averaged. Let's see, this is two hundred thirty three yards over twenty plays, so that, that's ten plus yards per play. Mm-hmm. If I'm not, you know, if I'm if I'm correct, and then some, maybe mm-hmm. ten point something. It's just it's first down every time you run the play. Yeah, <laughs> that's uh, that's it, it's it's an insane. It was an insane comeback. It was an insane flurry of offense to end the game. It was very fun to watch. Uh, you know, objectively, it was very fun to watch all game long. As the Ravens are doing, you know, it was just big play after big play. You don't see that many in an NFL game. Uh, you rarely do. So uh, it was just, it was a very fun, it was a very fun game to watch and uh, an eye opening experience again for the doubters of Tua. Mm-hmm. As someone who went on TV and said the Ravens would win the game if they had a halftime lead, I, I didn't enjoy the fourth quarter as much as some other people, but <laughs> I, I respect that it was objectively entertaining uh, and obviously a really fun, fun game to watch back and kind of figure out what was happening from the Miami and, and Baltimore perspectives. Um, in terms of that rushing game, we'll talk about Tua a little bit as we finish up with the Dolphin section, but in terms of the running game, what seemed interesting to me is that week one, Chase Edmonds was pretty much the guy for the Dolphins in the running game, even though that was a game where they were winning. And I think maybe heading into the season, I sort of figured, okay, you know, when they need to throw the ball, Edmonds is going to be 
the lead back, but when they want to run the ball, when they're in run-friendly scripts, it'll be Raheem Mostert. But then week one, they're winning most of the game. Edmonds is the lead back. Week two, even though they're trailing for most of the game, Mostert was the lead back. So what do you make of their running back usage through two weeks? Well, Edmonds was basically the lead guy throughout the summer. So it wasn't really surprising to see him get kind of a lion's share, uh, you know, 12 carries to, to Mostert's five mm-hmm. there in week one. Uh, but he was just so – it was a little surprising to see him so so inefficient. And he didn't really play much in the preseason. So it, I, I guess you kind of can understand it. And But it's not like New England's run defense last year was anything better than mediocre. I think that they were middle of the pack if not lower, uh, you know, maybe in the early twenties or the late teens in terms of, you know, rushing yards allowed per game. Uh, but for the first time when most are carried the ball, it, it just looked like this offense had some pop to it. And you, you're starting to see Chase Edmonds is fast. Don't get me wrong, but he's not as fast as Raheem Mostert. And Mostert really didn't participate much in training camp as he continued to rehab that knee. Um, I think we're starting to see him be fully healthy. Uh, I think we're seeing somebody who's comfortable in Mike McDaniel's offensive scheme. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think he even showed, you know, kind of surprising amount of physicality and willingness to be physical, not to, not just, but he is the kind of guy who, if he gets a sliver of space that he can, he can hit the hole pretty hard. Mm-hmm. So I, I would expect, you know, we saw an 11 to five split between Mostert and Edmonds there on Sunday. I would kind of expect that to be the case moving forward. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, either way, it, I, I don't think it, it, it's between one of them. You know what I mean? Like, I, I know at one point, you know, the, the Dolphins backfield was kind of scary from a fantasy perspective because mm-hmm. there's Sony Michelle involved and Miles Gaskin and Gaskin and Ahmed have each spent a game as a healthy scratch. Mm-hmm. It, it's they're just going to ride the hot hand between mm-hmm. Mostert and Edmonds. I think that's kind of what we've seen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it makes sense. And, and certainly, you know there can be opportunities for both of them to have an impact depending on who's hot and what the game situation is. Um, last question about the offense here before we move on. And again, this is a very open-ended question. Feel free to answer as much or as little of this as you would like. Do you think the impact of what we saw from Tua in the game against the Ravens disappears if he struggles against the Bills next week, and it's kind of just, oh, same old Dolphins, they lost to the Bills, Tua didn't play all that well. Or do you think that Tua was so good at the end of that game in week two that at least a subset of Dolphins fans who were skeptical previously of Tua Tango Violoa are convinced that he can be a different guy than the guy he was his first two seasons? I don't, yeah, I don't think the Bills game is going to skew the curve much in the you know the negative direction mm-hmm. uh, depending you know within reason of course if he goes you know six of 35 for <laughs> eight yards and four t- interceptions yeah. like you know there are he, he can go out there and lay some kind of egg but uh stats are not i think it might be one of those games where you got to look beyond the numbers and you say okay well how was his how were his processing speeds what was yep. what was his decision making what were his teammates doing how was his blocking because buffalo's defense is very very good and they've looked incredible over the past couple of weeks, yep. even with rookies at cornerback, without arguably their best defensive player mm-hmm. in Tredavious White. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of it is, you know, it's an improved pass rush that doesn't necessarily need to blitz to get home. That's kind of dangerous for uh, for this Miami offensive line. Uh, but also it's it's that, that safety duo of, of Hyde and Poyer that really limits mm-hmm. offenses from doing what they want to do. I, I think that if he 
if he plays a good enough game on film, not just in the box score, like after that, they've, they've got Cincinnati, they've got New York, the Jets, mm-hmm. they've got the Vikings, uh, the Steelers, the Lions, the Bears, the Browns, the Texans all coming forward. You know, there are a lot of opportunities for him to bounce back and get right, mm-hmm. uh, regardless of what happens here on Buffalo. But on the flip side, you know, if he does tear it up against the Bills, I think all bets are off for how high his ceiling could be this uh, this season. He's a guy, um, not unlike most quarterbacks and most athletes, he really, really thrives and runs on confidence. Mm-hmm. And the ability to beat a team that literally knocked you out of the game last year mm-hmm. uh, will will probably go a long way for for all of them. Not to mention, you know, I, I think you might even be able to start locking bets for McDaniel Coach of the Year mm-hmm. because you're, we're going to see a level of buy-in. They're bought in already, mm-hmm. and it's only been two games. You know, the, the level of buy-in will never be higher than if you go back-to-back weeks of a 21-point comeback and beating the two-time reigning AFC East chance. I mean, not to, again, make comparisons between – the guy you used to cover and the guy you cover now, but Josh Allen was knocked out by the Patriots in 2019 in a, I think a four interception performance, a game they lost because Josh Allen was not playing up to the hopes of Bills fans in a year where they lost the division narrowly. And then next year, Josh Allen was much better and the Bills won the division comfortably. And it's been kind of their division ever since. So maybe this is to his chance to do what Josh Allen did in 2020. Everything is a simulation then. It's a simulation. <laughs> Nothing is real. Everything that has happened before will happen again, apparently. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This is a tough question, not because it requires nuance, but maybe just because we don't know who's going to be playing for the Bills on defense on Sunday. Uh, You mentioned Tredavious White being out. He's going to miss next week's game. Dane Jackson left the game on Monday night with a scary neck injury, although thankfully seems to have not suffered a serious injury. He's been released from the hospital. Micah Hyde was carted off. Matt Milano, Jordan Phillips left injured. And Oliver was already out for that game. So I I don't know that we know who is actually going to be lining up for the Bills on Sunday. But in terms of who you, I guess, would expect to be on the field or who is likely to be on the field, do you think the Buffalo defense has the horses to keep up with Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddell, given that Tredavious White, we know for sure, is not playing against the Dolphins? That is, it's going to be tough. It's going to be tough because it's not the, you know, it's not the deep balls that have ever killed Buffalo. You know, teams don't stretch the field on the Bills because mm-hmm. of Poyer, or Poyer and Hyde. Teams get a lot of their, do a lot of their damage underneath uh, after the catch. And that is what the Dolphins at their core specialize in and want to stress. So, uh, you know, Kyrie Elam, if he does have to start, he is, he's fast. Don't get me wrong. And so I think that that does more good than harm. Mm-hmm. But, um, Especially if, if Milano can't play, if if 
uh, Dane Jackson's not playing. And particularly, man, if, if Micah Hyde can't play, uh, then this has this is a dangerous spot for Buffalo. It's a dangerous spot for Buffalo because, no, I don't think that they'd have the horses. They are the deepest team in the NFL, but that has a limit. Of course. That has a limit. And when you're missing this many starters, I, I really don't care how deep you are. Uh, when you play Tyree Hill and Jalen Waddle and Mike Kosicki and Raheem Mostert and all these guys who can run after the catch, it, it stretches and strains your defense way too much. So, uh, yeah, I think for their sake, for Buffalo's sake, you, you really hope that, you know, some of these guys, particularly uh, or especially really the, you know, the, the secondary guys in, in, in Milano can play because if not, I don't think Miami's going to have any hesitation, really any trouble in picking the Bills apart across the middle. Mm-hmm. I mean, does it feel like from the Bills' perspective, it's maybe even less about the secondary and just more about can they just dominate with their pass rush and just, with like you said, without blitzing, just slow down the Dolphins and Tua Tango Viola about that way? You can hope so. And and again, the the Bills have done a uh, the Bills have done a great job of applying pressure without blitzing. I believe they have the, the second lowest blitz rate in the NFL, and I think mm-hmm. they're the second most sacks in, in the NFL. So uh, I think they, they would hope to do more of the same, but uh, I, I don't know if, if they're going to, I, I don't know if they want to start blitzing to it in hopes of making him, you know, forcing him into a bad decision mm-hmm. because the quick passing game is going to be such a key part of Miami's offense on Sunday anyways. Mm-hmm. So if, if you're, if you're blitzing and you're, you're giving him more holes, more throwing lanes to, mm-hmm. to get into and, and, you know, sacrificing that in, in exchange for hopefully getting pressure on him. Uh, but, uh, you know, it, I, I think it's more important. I think the guys behind the guys who are going to have to be making those tackles um, after that quick pass comes, I think that's more important for Buffalo on Sunday rather than, rather than getting home. Although mm-hmm. they have again, been excellent at doing so this season. Mm-hmm. On the flip side, the Dolphins pass rush has not really been there. I mean, granted, they did force a strip sack of Mac Jones and created a defensive touchdown against the Patriots, and that's pretty good. You want to get one of those if you can, but only two sacks, I believe, through two weeks. Um, any reason to be concerned that the defense might not be able to hold up against Josh Allen and an offense that has looked you know, pretty much unstoppable through two games? I, any shoot, man. A- anytime you play Josh Allen, it's a concern, and particularly for for Miami, he he's won seven of eight, and and the one that he's lost was a drop pass in the end zone mm-hmm. for uh from I think it was it was Charles Clay, mm-hmm. that's a, a throwback tight end name. Especially early in the season, I, I don't love kind of overreacting to to sack numbers. Obviously, mm-hmm. you know, two sacks when you're blitzing at the fifth highest rate in the NFL is not ideal, mm-hmm. but if you're at least winning your your pass rushes. I can kind of overlook that because the sacks will eventually come. The Dolphins are not an elite team per se at, at pass rush win rate. That is a kind of a mouthful. They're not horrible either. It's I believe that they're at forty six percent right now. It's it's uh, just in the top ten. Mm-hmm. So I, I am confident that you know eventually things are going to click for them. Uh, you know they're not winning at the rate of the Bills, which they're at fifty two point eight, but they're they're winning enough that mm-hmm. you know at some point the rush is going to get home you, you've got just too many horses to to not pressure a quarterback you've got two the guys you know, Jalen Phillips is, is going to wake up Trey Flowers Melvin Ingram 
uh, Christian Wilkins, Emmanuel Ogba, even deaf guys, Andrew Van Ginkle and, and Zach Sealer um, are, are adept at rushing the passers. So it, it's going to, it's going to come eventually. It's just kind of like a, it, it's a exercise in resilience for, for a front seven. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I think even if they have a good plan and even if they have some success, like we saw with the Dolphins and with with Tua yesterday, it only takes one play to to overcome you know a good quarter or a good series or a good possession. You know, if you get sacked and then hit a sixty yard touchdown on the next play, it's great that you got a sack, but it doesn't matter. And I think we've seen both these teams can be that explosive and create those big plays, even if they're stuck in in second and long or third and long. Yeah, and I, I think it's also it's interesting to note though that um, that the the Dolphins are facing the fifth fastest average time to throw in the NFL. So I think offensive are, are keying on the fact that Miami wants to blitz and that Miami can, you know, provide pressure when given time and they're getting the ball out quickly. That's something that Mac Jones does well. It's something that Lamar Jackson can do well when called upon. It's something he did with that Rashad Bateman touchdown mm-hmm. in the first half on Sunday. Uh, so, and Buffalo, uh, obviously Josh Allen loves to extend a play, but as we saw against the Rams in week one, I think especially this year, he's perfectly fine with getting the ball out quickly and, mm-hmm. and taking, you know, chunk gains across the middle or short gains in order to open up something deeper. Yeah. And I mean, the Bills, they don't have a Tyreek Hill, Jalen Waddle one two punch, but if Gabriel Davis returned for this game, Stefan Diggs and Gabriel Davis can also do plenty of work after the catch as well in their own right. I mean, you know, again, Hill and Waddle are incredible, but. Uh, Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis aren't bad either when it comes to what they can do with the football in their hands. No, not at all. It, it, there was time this offseason where, you know, I, I I was, it wasn't even a debate. It wasn't even a discussion. I'm taking, I would take Miami's uh, set of skill players over Buffalo's. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think I still do. I think I still do because I, I like, I, I like Waddle <clears throat> more than I like Gabe Davis, but for sure, Gabe Davis did show us there in week one that the, the Chiefs game wasn't fluke, that he, he's ready to contribute with additional snaps and additional run. So uh, it's not, they're not chopped liver. No. Uh, in Buffalo, they're not, they're not, you know, just a bunch of cast offs anymore. This is a talented group of pass catchers. But um, it, again, it, it's got, it does have shootout, it does have shootout potential just because of the strength of Buffalo's offense, uh, the strength of Miami's offense, and the overall health of Buffalo's defense. Mm hmm. So would you say heading into this game, do you feel like the Dolphins have a much better chance or at least a meaningfully better chance of actually winning as opposed to the two games they played against the Bills last season? <laughs> I love this. I love enough. I love a platform to to discuss my most controversial opinion in the city of Buffalo, within <laughs> the city of Buffalo. Those games last year were closer than the final score suggested. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know how it sounds. Because it's it was 35-0 and then it was what, like 21 to 9 or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh obviously Tua got hurt in, in the first game. Yeah. And I'm not saying Tua playing would have meant they they won that game, but it was 14-0 at halftime. Buffalo scored on its first two possessions and then went scoreless until the middle of the third quarter. Mm-hmm. Uh Miami had the ball in the red zone twice in the second quarter. And turned it over both times. Like they, they were there. It was just Jacoby Brissett and the Yeehaw gang were mm-hmm. not enough to move the needle. But mm-hmm. they got there. They were there. 
Um, and then eventually, you know, just no offensive support. I think defense got exhausted and there's only so much that you can do. And then that game in, I think it was week eight, week nine in Buffalo, mm-hmm. uh, it, it was like six to three at halftime, man. Like they, they were close. It was three, three at halftime. Three, three. There we go. So it, it was very close. It was a toss up either way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, being in that press box, uh, there was a lot of surprise. I think there's a lot of surprise because the Dolphins were, were still on that massive losing streak. They had just lost to Jacksonville and Atlanta. It looked like the wheels were really about to fall off, uh, especially in the in the midst of all that Deshaun Watson trade talk. Mm-hmm. So there was a lot of shock there. But again, no semblance of an offense, uh, no offensive game plan. I think Tua even broke his finger there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dolphins fumbled uh, deep in the red zone as well in uh, in the third quarter. Mm-hmm. So it, it was just it was a comedy of errors. But their defense played Buffalo pr- very well, and that half or the first half of that game I think inspired their streak their run at the end of the season of being the the best defense in the league in terms of these defensive expected points added mm-hmm. uh so they they play they play Buffalo actually pretty well uh over the past year uh and even in 2020 uh if, if I remember correctly uh, not the last game that was an embarrassment for this sure. But the, the first one was a shootout between Josh Allen and Ryan Fitzpatrick. Mm-hmm. Like, it, it's not like they've just been getting washed every single time they touch the field. Like, this is a team that can compete with Buffalo. They just didn't have the offense to do so last year. But now they do. Mm-hmm. But now, they, and that's like, if, if I'm trying to find reasons why Miami will win the game on Sunday, like, that's where I'm starting from mm-hmm. is that their defense is fairly confident against Buffalo's offense and plays them fairly well, all things considered. They haven't had the offensive support to uh, to actually threaten to win the game, but they've been knocking on the door, all things considered. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean that was that game was seventeen eleven in the fourth quarter, and the Bills got a field goal, and then to a pick, had a pick, and then uh, Bills had a short field for a touchdown, and that ended up being the difference late in that game. But absolutely, I mean, you can make a case the Dolphins were much more competitive, especially in that second game, than it might have looked by the final score. So let me ask you, let's imagine a world where the Dolphins do pull out the victory in week three over the Bills and they get to 3-0. and What does that mean for the AFC East? Is that a changing of the guard? Is that a, hey, this is a real competition now? Or is it just, ah, it's week three, we'll worry about what this means in week 10 or 11 if the Dolphins are still there? Um, I think it's a mix of the the latter in which like, okay, we'll see. We'll see what happens. It is just week two. Um, both teams are going to get healthier. Both teams are going to get better. I would, I would hope for their sake. You don't, obviously don't want to peak in, in September. But every game really matters, especially in the AFC right now. Every game, every game matters, particularly for a Bills team that's like desperately trying to get home field advantage. Like they don't want to have to travel to Kansas City again. Like they want the AFC to run through Buffalo. And this is going to be a major blow to that if they lose that game, especially because, again, I, I ran through Miami's schedule before. I'm going to run through it again. Because after the Bills, they're they're at the Bengals on a short week. The Bengals have struggled this season. They don't look very good right now. That's it looks like a much more winnable game now than it did in May. They're uh, they got the Jets uh, at MetLife, home against the the Vikings. It's at one p.m. though, so Kirk Cousins might be okay. But still, they've got the Vikings. They've got the Steelers. They've got the Lions. They've got the Bears. The Browns. A bye week. Then the Texans. That's a they have a chance to really build a, a build 
a, a nest egg in the AFC and really dig in to the playoff hunt before it, I mean, the only way I can describe it is a nightmare December in, in which they're, I mean, Bill, they're, they're at the Niners. They're at the Chargers. They're at the Bills. They're home against the Packers on Christmas. And then they start the new year at New England. Like that's a, the worst five game stretch I think I've, I've ever heard of. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they might fall through that. I don't think they're going to go five and zero through that. Although freezing cold takes might might get me if I'm <laughs> wrong here. But I don't think they're going to go five and zero for that. But there's that stretch in the middle of the season where they can build again enough of a nest egg, enough mm-hmm. of a foundation that they can afford to drop a game or two and not worry about it being the difference between them making the playoffs or watching it from home again. Mm-hmm. So uh, you know, I'm not saying this is not their Super Bowl. This is not, you know, this doesn't even necessarily, I think, change the favorite in in the AFC East. Mm -hmm. But in order for Miami to win the AFC East, you have to split with Buffalo. You have to split with Buffalo because they swept the rest of the division last year, too, and look where it got them. You have to be able to split with Buffalo to have a shot. And this puts them on the right track. Mm-hmm. And I mean, this is their best chance. Like you said, the schedule's so tough later in the season, and it's traveling to Buffalo versus playing at home. And that's a big difference, especially late in the season. Nobody wants to go play in Buffalo in December. <laughs> so absolutely. I mean, I think this is a, you know, in, in terms of how they, how good they feel right now, the path they want to be on, this feels kind of like a must-win game to me. Yeah, it, it, and it's, it's a scary, that's a scary phrase to say, obviously, in week three. Because uh, when we say must win, it's not like this is going to be the difference between making the playoffs and sitting on the couch. But mm-hmm. you you have to win one against Buffalo. It's unfortunate for y'all that it comes in week three and we have to call a week three game a must win. Mm-hmm. But again, like we said, this is going to be your best shot at them mm-hmm. with, with no Trey White, with all the all the injuries that they've been dealing with. Uh, and you're at home where it's going to be swampy. we got mm-hmm. like this, uh, I think there's a tropical storm um, in the Caribbean okay. that we're, we're going to get residuals from here in Florida over the over the week, so there's going to be it's going to be humid. So like this is your this is your moment. This this is your shot. Um, and, and not to mention this is your it's a huge benchmark for you because mm-hmm. uh, you know you compete against Buffalo. It, I think it puts the rest of the AFC on notice that all right, hey guys, uh, I know everybody was talking about the Broncos and the Chargers and the Colts entering the season as you know non-playoff teams that are going to take that leap this year. But uh, I think the, the Dolphins are actually the leader of the pack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, through two weeks, like Bills are playing phenomenal football. Dolphins look very good. This is going to be a really exciting game at the very least this upcoming Sunday. And if people want to check out your coverage of all things Dolphins, not only on Sunday, but also beyond, where can people do that? Well, I, as I always say, you can get my work and my opinions on uh, on Twitter at Marcel underscore LJ. If you just want the content and none of the me, uh, you can just follow. You can follow the Dolphins in a ESPN NFL page. Set up notifications. Uh, Going to have news and and whatnot coming for you, coming to you throughout the week. Uh, Bills weeks are always fun because obviously I, I, I did used to cover the Bills for two years. I uh, generally do a lot of, of radio and podcast appearances, so. If you really want to immerse yourself into this weekend's game, I would recommend following me on Twitter because there's going to be a lot of, of shows and content and whatnot coming out that uh, I, I'll be reposting and posting. So uh, that's kind of the uh, that is the that is it right there. That's the gauntlet right there. Okay, one final question, Marcel. As someone who 
made his way around. How I feel like I'm saying this like it's an insult. It's not an insult. You <laughs> ate a lot of good food in Buffalo. You went to a lot of good places in Buffalo. A lot of Bills fans probably coming to Miami for this game. Marcel, where would you send Bills fans to eat if you had to pick one place in Miami for them to eat this upcoming Ooh, Saturday? This weekend, heading man. into this game. That is, uh, that is tough because if, if you want wings, I'm going to be honest. There's, there, I haven't found it yet. I haven't <laughs> found it yet here. Um, I'm going to cheat and I'm going to say, I'm going to give two answers. One is my personal favorite. It's like this little hole in the wall um, between my building and Wynwood. It's called uh, Kush. Uh, it's like right on the corner. I wish I knew the street names, but I don't. It's like right next to the train tracks. It doesn't look like much from outside. They got an incredible spicy chicken sandwich. The key is yeah, you got to ask them to uh, give it to you fried and not grilled. They'll do it. Get that. Get the black bean dip as well. You're in for a fun night. They got great craft beer selection too. It's small, so uh, you know, it, come into it expecting that. But uh, it, it's my personal favorite. And then, if you want to support your own, go to Latrelia Barbecue out in Miami Lakes. It's kind of a drive uh, for the people who are like staying out in the X or staying in the action, like South Beach or downtown or Brickell. But uh, it's Isaiah McKenzie's Barbecue Restaurant. Uh, another great chicken sandwich. I would get it more often if I didn't live 45 minutes away. But uh, great brisket as well. Uh, it's it's got a, like some some Texas flavor, a little bit of South Florida flavor to it as well. Um, it, it is something that uh, you know it, it, it's worth the hype, especially if supporting a player on your favorite team matters to you. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Well, Marcel, it's always a pleasure. We have a lot to talk about here. Happy we got to break down to his performance and this Dolphins Bills game. Excited to have you back on later in the year. The next time to a Tango Vailoa throws for four touchdown passes in a single quarter. <laughs> Absolutely, man. Always a pleasure. Thanks for having me on and uh, looking forward to uh, looking forward to Sunday. All right. Thanks so much to my friend Marcel Louis Jacques. Does excellent work covering the NFL, covering the Dolphins for us at ESPN. Strongly recommended Twitter follow. Very funny, very smart on Twitter. We have more NFL coming next week here on the Bill Barnwell Show, of course. The NFL action keeps coming each and every week. We will have more breakdowns. We'll have more analysis, more guests, all that good stuff coming up in the weeks to come. So hope you guys are enjoying the first two weeks of the season. If you had a lot of Trey Lance in fantasy football like I did, my condolences. Hope Trey Lance gets well soon after his serious ankle injury. But more will happen, and we'll cover it all here on The Bill Barnwell Show. Thanks so much for listening.